If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. For our first episode, we chose to begin with a woman who has brought so much to our local area. She's not only a health practitioner, she's an empowerment coach and an inspirational speaker. I personally had the privilege of being in the audience at one of Elphine's speeches a couple of years back, and I, amongst most others, were captivated by her honesty, raw and empowering speech. I was absolutely chuffed when she kindly accepted to come and speak to us on FYI. Without any further ado, Alphine Varghese, welcome to the first episode of FYI. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nadia. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. That's lovely. Oh, enough of that. Oh, it's huggy, huggy. Get in there, you two. You're insane. It is. I am. No one's. No hugs coming over here. Get into it, Ben. No, uh, thank I, you and very much welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Nards, we've um, we've put a whole heap of stuff together to to talk about, and and perhaps one of the biggest things that I'd like to ask you is, what made you smile today? I have a lot of patients ask me that question. You know, working as a GP, it's really hard because every fifteen minutes you're coming across a new patient, you you're dealing with problems, you're doing life with them, and every fifteen minutes when I used to get a new patient in, I used to have this as if they were my first patient. And I've been asked that question a million times, you know, how can you smile? Like what keeps you going? I just have this ability, I think, and it's God given to compartmentalize everything. So when I finish with one patient, I've shut the box and I've pushed it to the side and I'm new for this new patient because I think everyone deserves the best of you. And it's not their um, obligation to know every burden that you carry. We're all carrying burdens. We're all carrying responsibilities, trauma, grief. But I don't think we need to transfer that on to someone else. So if you've got the strength to carry, you know, your own burden, then do it well and present yourself in a way to someone else because you really don't know what they're going through. Totally. So, yeah, so that's pretty much what I smile. That's what makes you smile. That's awesome. That's That's beautiful. I like it. I like the compartmentalizing, yeah. put it away Shut and move. put it away. It really helps, especially when as we're going through life and we do get, you know, pressures from every aspect of our lives. We've got parents, elderly parents, we've got extended family, you know, I live overseas. I mean my parents live overseas, so looking after them is is it's not a burden, but it is a concern. And if I keep worrying about it and carry that through my day-to-day life, I'm not helping them. Absolutely. I'm not helping myself and I'm not helping the people I'm coming in contact with. So why carry that box to sure. another aspect of your life? Yeah, so yeah, compartmentalize like it. and deal with it when you have to and be mindful. So you're not ignoring it. It's there, but you only look into it when you have the box open. Did you have to teach yourself how to do that? Sorry? Did you have to teach yourself how to I do did. that? I did. Yeah? I did. And it started quite early in life, actually, because looking back, I think it was growing up, you go through, I grew up in India, mm-hmm. 
and mom and dad were working really busy. Dad was in the Air Force. My mom was working full time. And mom would do this, like she'd wake up around 5, 5.30 in the morning and call us into the kitchen to work, to cook breakfast. We had a cooked breakfast and cooked lunch every day. How nice. I love it. And didn't matter whether I had exams, my sister had exams, we were there, we had to cook. So she taught this compartmentalizing thing quite early in life, saying that's a different aspect of you. You know, everybody's got exams, everybody's got stuff, but we need to eat and we come into the kitchen. So dad, mom, my sister and I would go in 45 minutes, cook, clean, wash up and go to work or school or uni, come back, cook, clean, wash up, have your meal, sit down, talk, and then we go and do our studying. So we had to compartmentalize everything. I couldn't give her an, an excuse saying, oh, I've got exams, so I can't do this today. No, you do life. You have to compartmentalize. So that was quite early in life. And I didn't realize that that it was compartmentalizing sure. till I actually got older and I was doing this and people would ask me, you know, what is this that you're doing? And then I realized I'm actually compartmentalizing it. Absolutely. Yeah. It was just organized at the time. Exactly. Just being mindful in the moment, being organized and doing life fully, completely in the moment. Then is that perhaps more difficult these days with the constantness of life, with the with the instant gratification, with the pick up the phone because it rang two seconds ago and you know, I have to look at that and I have to answer that and I have to, have to, have to. It is hard. It, it would be a difficult thing to teach younger people, perhaps, and, and we're all young, clearly, yes. but um, younger than us, uh, where they're conditioned to pick up the phone or, or, or answer whatever that inquiry is straight away, rather than saying, hold on a second, I'm just doing this and I'll finish this and then I'll be right with you. I I don't know how to deal with that, with, with teaching younger people how to do that. Would you? Yeah, I think it's quite, um, I must admit, it is quite challenging, um, especially I look at my children and I say, you know, I'm so glad I'm not in your generation. We actually had it easy compared to them because they are constantly inundated with the pressure from the outside world. We used to have times where we were alone. You're alone in your room and you're and that's it. You're alone. Whereas now you're never alone. You've constantly got the ping happening mm-hmm. or whatever is your sure. ringtone. You've got that constant intrusion into your world. And that, I feel, makes it all the more difficult for us to compartmentalize. Unless we're really conscious and say, this is the time I'm going to check my emails. This is the time I'm going to check my messages. Yeah. We are constantly going to get sucked into that realm of social media where there is absolutely no me time and which I feel all of us lack because it's when we don't have that me time, that's the problem that we're not able to process things. We're not able to evaluate things. We're not able to, you know, go through life and ask ourselves questions as to why we're doing what we're doing, where are we going, what is our vision, what is our purpose. You know, we need time to process it. And when you're constantly inundated with a lot of information, we can't do it. And that's when the balance is lost and that's when the whole thing falls into a... And I suppose that's also when you end up with the anxiety that we all build up um, over a period of time and and some more than others, obviously, because you... Have I finished that? Have I finished that before I started that? I didn't really finish that as completely as I'd like to have, but I've done this because I had to do that because that other person's come along. And in a day-to-day work life, I understand that that, that's the pressure that we have to learn to manage as we go through. But in personal time, it would be nice to be able to 
compartmentalise and better. And perhaps that's when we should, uh, if we're trying to learn how to do that, to teach ourselves a more calmer state and a more uh, relaxed and deliverable outcome on a daily basis, that we can perhaps start on a weekend to do that when our when our time pressures are not quite as much. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. You're trying to learn that tool? Yeah. Also doing it on a day-to-day basis helps. In the morning is the best time when you wake up. You're not waking up and picking up your phone straight away. It's so tempting. You want to check and I see what's been. I must say I'm bad at it. I'm the same. The days I do that, I, I know the difference. The days I make a conscious effort of not picking up my phone, I've spent about 45 minutes, which is my time. I meditate. I think. I plan. I do my breathing exercises and then I know I'm going to have a better outcome that day compared to one where I'm getting up and I'm going bang, bang, bang. It's the least productive day. Absolutely. The pressures are different now, I think, from back then, but there were still pressures back then. There were still distractions. Oh, yes, there were. You know, there were distractions. I think we need to get better at dealing with them yep. by doing things like you're saying, not in, not picking up your phone first thing in the morning, putting your main apps on your last page of your phone so you don't go there, turn off all notifications. There's still things we can do. But what if I miss out? Well, you then have the fear of missing out. That's an issue in itself, Bernie. I know. I'm just devil's advocate here. <laughs> that's good. But that's what it is, isn't it? It's, it's our it life is. is. There is a big we, fear of, of we missing out. We want to be out. in touch with people. We want to be felt loved. We want to be felt needed. So the advent of our phones and our any other social media that's allowing us to contact each other has given us that instant, I need to, I need to, I need to. And you just get used to it, I suppose, over a period. There's no doubt. And also if you look at why do we need that gratification, why are we looking to external sources to make us feel loved, make us feel wanted. That's a question we've got to ask ourselves. So if you feel that we're doing that often, it's in those in that time of quiet time that you think, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's really a question that I've, I wish everyone would write on their fridge or on their, you know, any place and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? So because, this is where you pause our podcast yep. and you write that down and put it on your fridge. Those of you who are listening to me, the millions of you, write it on the fridge. What was it we're writing on the fridge? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And that can be anything. Anything. Absolutely anything. It could be an argument with your partner. It could be, you know, yelling at your kids for no reason. It could be checking your phone unnecessarily. There is an element of truth in what we do, but it's not the definite truth. So it's important for us to evaluate that truth and find out the basis of that truth and seek to see, is that the actual fact or are we just doing it because we've been pushed into this into this process, you know, like a factory where things are being manufactured. We're all doing things because that's exactly what everyone's doing. And so I do it as well, rather than questioning is to take a step back and say, do I really need to do it? Is it helping me in any way? How am I going to be more productive by continuing to do this, you know, continuing with this process? Mm. Absolutely. Challenge yourself. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. When we we live our lives, though, delivering to other people, and you as a GP, you deliver to your clients each day, um, patients. I deliver to my clients in my place of business. We're conditioned to delivering and delivering, delivering. Is it right then for us to sit back and say, what am I doing right for me? Should I be doing this? Is this about me at this second in time? 
because I honestly believe that unless you as a vessel are complete and full and whole, you can't pour into someone else. Oh, she said she was good. She's good. Told you. She's got the little phrases. I like that. But it's, it is true though. You fill a jug. Where does it go? To wherever it needs to go after that. So you need an outpouring of yourself in order to fill others. And this is where I think our generation has been so caught up in serving and serving. We have service provision, you know, unless we do it, we don't feel loved. We don't have a purpose. We don't, you know, we're not fulfilling our passion. And that's pretty much what happens when you keep giving. And then what do you do when you run out of steam? You fall into a heap. Of course and you do. It's pretty much what happened to me because I just kept giving and giving and doing and doing. And, and it's only when I hit rock bottom, I realized, why did I do all that I did? Was that because I lacked a sense of identity? No, I had a sense of identity. I had a purpose, but I forgot to keep replenishing myself enough to overflow. I just had enough to keep myself going not enough to overflow. So we've got to be really mindful that we fill ourselves to overflow and then the outpouring happens. Wow. I like that. I think... I'm learning lots here. Yeah, the challenge there for, for me that I see is knowing when enough is enough. When when am I feeling full? And is that is that then the feeling of mental wellness as such? Is that the calm, deeper self-satisfaction that you're sort of alluding to? Absolutely. So when you look at mental wellness, you're looking at a state where you're completely confident of who you are. You're not questioning yourself. You're not doubting yourself. I mean, we all have our doubts, but it's not coming to the forefront and actually occupying your entire identity. So you're comfortable about yourself. So that's the basis of mental wellness. And then when you look further into it, you're looking into how can I use my confidence and my capabilities to enrich the world, to be more productive and to help the community and to do things for the community. That state of well-being, that state of confidence, that state of ability to give is when you know you're completely well in the state of mental health. Yeah, right. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It sure does. Because we talk about mental health in in a space where it is very deeply connected to ill health or mental ill health. I don't think mental illness needs to be brought into the space of mental health. I agree. Because wellness is such a state that we often take for granted. And if we don't actually work in the space of mental wellness and health, we are actually all going to be sucked into mental health or mental illness. And that's where the, the... that's where the challenge is. I feel that we need to be constantly aware of where is our mental health going? What are we doing to help it? What are we doing to improve it? Are there some triggers that's actually pulling us down? Do we? How do we identify those triggers? So mental wellness is something that every single individual should be constantly looking for, especially in this day and age where we are so easily sucked into anxiety, so easily sucked into this thing of am I missing out? You know, is someone else doing something there and I have no idea and I'm going to be left out of this whole, you know, peer pressure. You know, that's with the younger ones. But our generation, I feel we we have peer pressure as well. It's not it's not exclusive to the younger generation. And I think it's important that we concentrate on mental wellness and give it the rightful space, the rightful um, authority that it needs rather than focus only on mental illness. Which is something that 
a government can't provide by putting millions of dollars into a mental health program that really has no particular stream or or outcome because it's unmeasurable at this point in time. What we perhaps could be better at doing is teaching ourselves or having ourselves understand how to get in touch with that level of comfort within ourselves. And that's a difficult thing to do, Nadia. I'm not entirely sure that I could sit there today and say, I am overflowing with self-belief and confidence and wellness to say that I am better for other people. I think it's just something that you you work on and you don't stop working on. You know, life is up and down. Um, it's about moments and it's about stages in life as well. But, you know, we're, we're all quick to join gyms and walk every day and, and exercise for 30 minutes a day as a minimum and eat healthy. And, and that's all very important. Don't get me wrong, but do we spend 30 minutes on our mental wellness every day? It's not hard. When you go to the gym, you're not spending time on your mental wellness. Yes, it has an outcome. It yes, produces the endorphins course. and you feel yep. better. There's no doubt about that. Yep. But you're concentrating on what you're doing. Yes. Correct. And I'm talking more about, I know in, in previous podcasts, we've, we've, we'll be speaking about um, exercise and, and the benefits of exercise, but I mean genuinely mental wellness. Taking whether the it's, time. Yep, whether it, it is just meditating, deep breathing, practicing mindfulness. Um, what do you doing, mean by that? What do you mean by mindfulness? Practicing the art of being mindful, being in the moment, in the precious present, in the here and now. How many of us can put our hand up and say we do that for 30 minutes a day? You know, we, we can do – a lot of people who are active are doing a lot more than 30 minutes of exercise a day, yet mental health is a huge problem. So is obesity, and, and I'm not taking away from that. I just want to focus on ment- – not many. H- how are we going to get better? How – you know, it's it's no different to exercise. I keep, you know, referring or or comparing to that. It's the same. You've got to work at it. You've got to exercise your mind. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Is that the mantra that you would deliver to the bulk? And I mean as, as an overall thing, not specifically because I know every patient is individual and different. But would that be your overall delivery to a client that potentially comes in with a depressive situation or a high anxiety situation or, a, or a, I don't know, pick another, I don't like the word disorder, but another concern that they have? Would that be more the first thing that you'd go to as opposed to prescription of medicine? Absolutely. I think it's really important to understand where they're coming from. What is the situation around which this particular concern has arisen? Because most people are responding to triggers in their environment or they're responding to triggers from within. And a person who's got an aspect of mental health or mental wellness would be able to manage it, cope, bounce back and deal with it, provided there's only one or two minor issues. But what happens to someone who's lost their job, who's going through a separation, who's, you know, maybe their children have got an addiction problem? How can you cope with all these attacks from every aspect of your life? You would get depressed. It is depressing and it's not, it's not something that 
won't happen. It is. It will be something that is going to happen. So the key here is to look at that person and say, what is it? Do you want to write down all the triggers in your life? And that itself is a self-evaluation rather than getting inundated with the with the situation and saying it's too much, I can't handle it, take some time off, evaluate your situation and see what are your triggers. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you responding in such a way? And maybe that's only one or two small things because when we self-evaluate, yep. to find those triggers is very difficult. It is How very do you look difficult. back into yourself and say, oh, that's it, I put my shoes on left before right, and I should be doing it right before left. Yeah. Ah, burn, you idiot. Of course yeah. that's it. If it was only as simple as that, that would be okay. But to have a look back in and write down a big, long list of all the reasons why I think I'm feeling um, depressed or anxious at the moment is a difficult task. The only advantage of doing that is you're actually able to gain some control of the situation rather than getting so completely overwhelmed. Because what happens is when you feel you're lacking the control, that's when the symptoms gets worse. I don't know about normal people, but I love to have control. And I know when I got the diagnosis of chronic fatigue and my severe arthritis, I felt I was losing control. And I was I was more stressed with the aspect of losing control than what I was actually going through. And I had to sit down and ask myself, right, Alfine, what are you doing? What are you feeling? What is your worst fear? What do you think will be the worst that can happen in this situation? So I wrote down all of that and I said, right, let me start looking at it. Maybe that's because of my background and what I've done for other people. I was able to sit down and look at it and say, right, this is it. This is where I need help. This is what I can do on my own and then went and got help. It doesn't mean self-evaluation is the entire treatment, but it is the foundation. Mm. And if you need help with evaluation, then you go and see a professional. You see a psychologist, you see a counsellor who can help you gain some insight into what's happening. But medication is probably, in my humble opinion, it's not the first option unless it's a critical situation and there is no other option because it does have its place. But when we're talking about mental health, illness and mental health issues in a mild to moderate aspect, there is a lot of room for us to look at what caused it in the first place and try and evaluate it. That is exactly, I think, what a lot of people needed to hear. I think there's there's a lot of misconception of we go to the GP and we've got depression or we've got anxiety and all they do is give us tablets. And it's an overview, it's a generalisation. So I think that's a really important and coming straight from a GP. That's nice to hear, don't you think, Bern? Totally. Looking at the whole picture, why are you here? Why are you feeling like this? Exactly. Medication has its place. Sorry, Alphine. Absolutely. I'm not pro or anti-med. Yeah, same. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. There, it, it just means that there is a holistic approach to every individual and not one size fits all. And it's important that we see each person as a person rather than as someone with, yep, you've got these symptoms, off you go, here's your prescription. Your prescription should include a holistic management. And that is where you're able to help this patient thrive, help them overcome and get back into the track that they've been or they've gone off track. Okay. But there's I'll, not I'll... enough of you. Aha, there you go. That's what I was going to say. Why? Why we need more Alphines as GPs? Well, is it, is because it a of... GP is where we go first. Yep. And that's 
You know, we have an issue, we have a problem, even though it may end up being a specialist problem, irrespective of what it is. But we all start at a GP and to have a good GP is as important as having a good hairdresser. I I think, yeah, I think a specialist can only be as important if the GP who's a specialist himself or herself recognizes the need in a patient. Otherwise, the specialist is this person who's sitting there in that office, but not having any anything to do with this patient because the GP hasn't realized that there is a connection that there is a need for this patient to see the specialist. So I think it's so important that as GPs we have a holistic approach and that can come when the GPs themselves are aware of a problem. They're able to step outside their zone of medications and medical aspects and then go into the community and see how things are done, how things are... But like everything else, that's experience... That comes with that, and clearly that's not taught yeah. when you when you when you learn how to be a, a GP. So that personal experience can be difficult to get. I'm assuming for a doctor when you are working in an environment that is 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, and there's a thousand patients there that need to be seen. You become a cookie cutter because you have to be. It'd be very difficult for someone to. But it's lives. It is lives. people's lives, but it's similar. I won't. I won't say it's anywhere near the same. But it's if you if you look outside a little bit and say, okay, the clients that I see, I could spend ten minutes with my clients, get their base information, give them a, what I think they need, and get them out the door. Or if you have the opportunity, you get to spend an hour or three quarters, or I mean, whatever it might be, with a client to to talk deeper about what they need and what they further want so that a better outcome can come for that, not just the fix-it-now issue, but the can we plan for something better. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. And it actually makes me smile because most patients would get annoyed with me because I'm constantly running late. (laughs) And the day I actually Uh, (laughs) ran on time, a patient asked me, you know, what happened? Like you've never run on time for 12 years. What happened today? You're on time. And I'm like, was it really that bad? (laughs) But that's because you ask those extra questions questions. and keep rolling forward. So don't get angry when you're waiting in the waiting Waiting room room. at the doctor's. Because you really don't know what's happening behind that closed door. Of course not. Correct. It's really, it's really difficult when you're sitting there and you're, you know, you come face to face with these problems and you get you know, you get involved and you're shedding your tears and the patient's crying and you're like, here's a tissue and I'm taking a tissue. And it's really intense because oh. you feel, you actually feel for this person and you think, I don't know how you do life. I really don't know how you do life. But you know what? Good on you for doing what you're doing. I am encouraged. And that's that's been my inspiration, my patients. So when you address a group of people, and I know you do some public speaking, what is the major outcome that you would like to have people realise when they walk out of that room? What's the one one mantra, one thing that you want to get through to them? Because I talk about a variety of topics, I usually ask the organiser what would they want the audience to take home and I tailor my speech according to that because it's really not about me. It's about the person who's organized the event, who's got a vision, who's got a calling, who wants to make a message important enough 
I just follow that. If it works with me, if it's a message that doesn't work with me, then I politely say no. But otherwise, I always ask the organizer. So there's a bit of a theme going on here that I'm seeing, and that is that if in our day-to-day lives we can take a little bit more time, if we can ask the next question, if we can grab some more information, if we can fill our lives with that little bit more information, we can give back better and we are going to be much better for ourselves in our own comfort, calmness, well-being because we are well enough informed to be able to go ahead, not just with our own life, but helping others as we go. Absolutely, especially when you look at your negative emotions, because we all have negative emotions. You wake up in the morning and you evaluate, why did I get angry with my partner or why did I yell at my children? Oh, that was because of this, this, this. And then you work on it and you say, today I make a conscious effort of not allowing that to enter my world. And that's where you become aware and that self-awareness is such a huge tool to use because then you know the triggers and you're acting accordingly. It's preventative. It's what I'm talking about is mental in mental wellness. It's about being able to prevent yourself from sliding down so deep that it's hard to get back. I mean there is help there, but a majority of the society, if you're able to practice mental wellness to a large extent, we will be a much more productive and a much more happier community. Would you suggest that If I'm trying to improve my day and I feel like I'm sliding over a period of time down into what we would call a depressive state or depressed state, would you advocate writing my list and putting it on the fridge like we talked about earlier, that statement, and and just picking three or four things a day rather than having a 20-item list, just... Smaller Just small, com- things. small compartments like absolutely, you're talking about? Absolutely, absolutely. And you can actually put them into different compartments, you know, work compartment, social life compartment, you know, my hobby compartment. You know, maybe you're doing tennis and you got annoyed with this person who you play tennis with and it's impacting the other aspects of your life. So every aspect of your life, put them into little boxes and deal with one box at a time rather than trying to do everything. And when you do that, you actually realize that work becomes a bit better. You know, if you've dealt with your work compartment, you're able to walk into work and say, I can handle work better. And therefore, you've handled work better. So when you come home, the home compartment doesn't look as bad. I like that. There's a bit of mindfulness in that Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yep. A lot of Absolutely. mindfulness there. I think, yep. it's, I think it's true, though. I mean, it's we, so we, simple. And if we look back, because we have the advantage of a little bit of age, we can look backwards. Um, and I know we're going to have a broad uh, age range of people who are listening to us. We have that advantage where we can look back a little bit and pick those days when, hell, oh, that was that was better. Yeah, we were good that day. I I did make it on time, and I didn't hit that that that. We never. I have never been smart enough to write it down and say that's why I was better that day. Yep. I just went. Great day today. We are <laughs> kicking goals. How good am I? Yeah. It's yeah. difficult to, I suppose, be ahead of that curve. Be be smart and not be smart enough because we're all smart, but be aware enough to to pick up on those factors that have made that a good day. Yeah. And you are right. If you've had a good day at work, you come home and you are better as a father, husband, partner, Absolutely. whatever it might be, yeah. and better to your children so that they can be better as a direct yes. result and of that's, that. It's kind of a dominoes effect, isn't it? It's yeah. so good when kids come home and they see a happy parent and then that transfers to them because they don't listen as much to what we say, but they notice what we do. 
And we know it's so, not that simple. We know that there's, in the back of our mind, there's financial pressures and we know that there's delivery dates and there's this and there's that. And oh, heck, you know, we all want to do that. We all want to go on a holiday. So I've got to think about planning for that. And then I've got to go on to there. And then, oh my goodness, I'm like, ah, this is all too much. That's yeah. why I think that dividing, yep. dividing, filing them up, putting them into different categories, it's simple, but wow, it's effective too. Because why should work yes. impact when you're exactly. at home yep. on that home life? Why should your kids suffer and not have the whole of you, your yep. husband, your partner, your your roommate? Yep, absolutely. Um, I like that. And Still I think, agree, though. It's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as that, but the strategy is simple. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. It's not simple to Definitely do. Definitely not. It takes a, a long time to get it there. It does, but it's a simple process to follow. Work is work. Home is home. Sport, sport whatever sort of compartments everyone has in life. And that's probably what empowerment is all about, where you're Mm. taking the power back. You're not handing it over to work, to, you know, children, to your partner and saying, you know, here you go. Here's the power to annoy me. You have the power to irritate me. You have the power to make me cry. (laughs) No, you get the power back. So that's what empowerment is all about. You get the power back and you say, you know what, it's all up to me. I I make the decision. I take the responsibility. If If I goof up, I apologize. Yep. I take responsibility sites with me. And you are human at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. You, you will make a mistake. Absolutely. You will stub your toe. You will <laughs> have pain. It yes. will happen. Um, it's how we try to bounce back from that, I suppose, and how we, not so much bounce back, but learn the trick or, or the, the tip on what worked for me last time. Yeah. Because what works for you, Alfie, may not work for me by Absolutely. any stretch of the imagination mm. or, or vice versa, Nadia. Mm. It's it's um it's a little thing that we have to pick up on for ourselves. Yeah. I like that empowerment, which was gonna be my question is your mantra per se is all about empowerment and finding your true value and identity. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more? I just feel that as we do life, as we get older, we start collecting a lot of baggage. Um, it's like when we go on a on a holiday, we pick up trinkets and we mm-hmm. we love it when we see it. But when we come back home, we've actually got to find a place for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and most of the time, it just it just looks trash at home. Yep. So over the yep. years, just on that point, when we go on a holiday, my husband and I, my husband loves to collect them, and I'm looking at him and asking him, where does it go? Where will you find a place for this trinket? I know it looks lovely there, but in our home, how is it going to fit in? And he gets so annoyed with me because I'm the logical one there. Yeah, and he's, yeah. the, he's the emotional one, loves it, wants it yeah. um, kind of thing. But it's, it's like that. As we get older, we carry so much baggage with us that sometimes we, we don't question ourselves. We don't ask ourselves, why are we carrying this? Is it time to chuck it? Is it time to drop it off? Is it... Should we carry it in the first place? So empowerment is all about questioning how much of your past are you carrying with you that is of no use to you. Empowerment is about finding your identity and knowing your capacity and not not basing your confidence on others. Because a lot of time our confidence comes from comparing ourselves to others. And if you want to feel good, you compare yourself to someone who's not as good as you. Yeah, and then you feel really good, mm. and then but then it's that is that real? Is that real confidence? It's yeah. not. So if you if you're actually quite honest with ourselves, we know that's not the truth. Empowerment is about living your life out of mediocrity and into excellence. 
because you know what you're doing, whatever you're doing, you know what you're good at, you know what your strength is, and you do it so well that you're living it 110%. It doesn't mean you've got to be Mother Teresa. It doesn't mean you've got to be Steve Jobs. You you could be the girl at the checkout and you would do such a good job that every person walking out of that supermarket has got a smile. smile. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, people need to understand the value that they carry. Most of us live lives thinking, I want to do this and I want to do that, but we don't have an understanding of our capabilities. Stop crying, you two. That's enough. No, it's true. And we are touching, and this is a subject that, that does draw emotion, doesn't it? Mm. We, we talk because it uh, touches what, we, what we're trying to get to, and the, it's it's the observations. It's the things that we have forgotten to remember that are really part of our soul. I think that's what it is. And it's not until you say it and it's real, but yeah, being given that push and, and the tools. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have never been told that. We on a discussion uh, with somebody I find incredibly wise at, at a point not all that long ago where we were talking about letting go stuff that was behind and a little bit along the baggage line you were just talking about. Mm. What's happened has happened. The past is the past and there's nothing you can do about that. But we do dwell and we can dwell and that can drag us down a little bit. And he and I both ride motorcycles for fun. And he said to me, you know, Burn, life is a lot like a motorcycle and you should treat life a little bit like the motorcycle. It has mirrors on the side where you can use for guidance and you can glimpse what happened behind you, but it doesn't have a rear vision mirror that you can stare in and see what has happened forever. It's what's in front of you that's important. The next corner, the next thing, the next, the next, the next, the next. Be mindful of what you're doing, glimpse, learn, and look at the next thing. And that's the only way to stay alive. As long as it's not too far in front either. I think there's a yeah. medium. It's it's now. Absolutely. It's, 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 all it's, we've got. it's part of what you're doing. And that's yeah. where he was bringing it back into the whole motorcycling thing is that if you're not mindful of what's happening in front, in front of, you, of you, that's so true. You yeah. will not survive. It's that as simple so as that, he he says. And I agree to a, to, to a level. So, yeah, the whole anti-baggage thing and, and, and just being a part of where you're going and why do we need that? Asking yourself that question, do we absolutely have to have that? That's another motorcycling thing I can bring into the whole picture too. My wife and I, when we go on holidays on our motorcycle, yeah. you can't take baggage. There is a very <laughs> small amount you, you cannot bring it home with you. You know, we enjoy, we see, we take pictures, we build memories and we go and do the things that we do. Motorcycling is a great analogy because you can't have baggage too much anyway. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> True. That's just me though. Sorry. That's my little passion in the world. But it's all, I think, if there was, uh, I don't know, if there, if I had a, a way to be able to say to a, a younger person that, you know, was looking to me for guidance and saying, Ben, I just don't feel like I'm myself. I see that happy-go-lucky person who's the same age as me walk down the street with seemingly a care, without a care in the world, yet I feel so enabled to just skip down the street. I feel like I have to walk and think about things and do all stuff along the way. I'm unsure on how to talk to somebody and say to them, 
don't be too concerned about how that person lives their life, first of all, but to become that carefree and, and lighter, skippy person who we all would love to be, a little bit more carefree, perhaps. I'm not entirely sure how to say to somebody, pack your stuff into compartments. If someone came to you and asked you that question, how might you answer that? We've all got different personalities, Ben. Not every one of us skip down the street. Some of us are more introspective than others. Some of us are more, probably more calculative than others, and that gives us joy. So I would say to this person, what gives you joy? I would ask this question, what gives you joy? And find that aspect of your life and pursue it. Because in the end, honestly, it's all about what you feel within yourself that can complete you rather than what looks about you. You know, what are you carrying around you? That's not what gives you joy. What gives you joy from within? For me, it was empowering my patients when they walk into the door and they come with some medical issue, which they think is medical. And then I find out that it's not actually a medical problem and it's something else. And then they go down that path and discover it. For me, that gave me joy. And that's when I moved out of medicine partially and started doing empowerment because I thought, of course, I've done those 15 years of training to be a GP, but it gives me joy, but not all the joy that I want. So I started pursuing it. And so it really doesn't matter what age you are, what circumstance of life you're in, what gives you joy in a simple and a holistic manner, pursue that. Mm. That is probably what I would say to this And that is absolutely different for every person out there. How's the comment, though, Elphine says about being, um, you know, it can be the supermarket checkout chick. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Can you give us more about that? Because I know there's people out there. There's guys out there that do that too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know. And it's just what came to mind first. But we fall into that so much. You know, I come from a banking background. I remember I used to do it too. You know, I'm just the teller. Yeah. I'm I'm just the teller or, you know, you ask someone what they do and they go, I'm just a hairdresser or whatever it is. Can you give us more about that? Yeah, sure. Because if you look at us living in a society, we need people from different walks of life to make our community whole. If the CEO of the local bank was this really awesome guy and he was sitting in his chamber there on the seventh floor, great views, and we're sitting there, does it actually change how we live in the community? No. It comes down to the teller in the bank. It comes down to the girl in the supermarket. It comes down to the lady who does the pedestrian crossing for the schools. It comes down to every single person who is in our community who has a role to play. It doesn't matter what that role is, but as long as you've identified that role is your role, you take complete, complete authority over it, complete responsibility over it, and do it 100%, you'll notice the flow. You'll notice everybody is doing a mighty job and everyone's smiling. Why? Because they're doing what they love. They're not competing with someone else. They're in their zone and that's it. And it makes, so it true. sounds simple, but it's so hard because everyone's looking around trying to find what the other one's doing. I want that. And, you know, that whole comparison, the competition, everything comes in and takes away the clarity of who you are. It's Absolutely. really important for us to have. And that's where the identity, I'm so passionate about the identity. Mm. You really need to find out your own identity, mm. find out what you're good at, have clarity and then seek joy in things that you do. 
Absolutely. Around um, mental wellness, is there anything that perhaps we weren't smart enough to ask you that you thought should have been addressed in, in the whole mantra of being the best you can possibly be in your mental attitude? I think it's all about a understanding that, yes, life is stressful. The first thing is accepting that, yes, it is a stressful journey rather than wear these blinkers and think, now that I've chosen to find joy, now that I'm doing this, it's all going to be easy. It's never, it's never going to be easy. So the first thing is to accept life is going to be difficult. There are stressors that are going to come, but how I deal with the stressors, how I'm not going to let that make my life dysfunctional is the core core foundation of mental wellness because we will get stressed we will have things happening we will get into situations that will make us feel overwhelmed vulnerable everything but the key is not to allow those situations to take the power out of you because you are an empowered individual and so mental wellness is all about understanding yes accepting that there is a problem Act if there is a problem and then advance. So that's my three A's, accept, act and advance. So follow that through through your journey of doing life and mental wellness will be part of it rather than, you know, you're going to seek mental wellness on its own. It should be part of what we do on a day-to-day basis. So you incorporate into, into your life. It's all about prevention. You're not falling into that day you're not finding it hard to come out because you've fallen into a heap and then you don't know what to do. Um, mental wellness is very preventative. It's a, it's a very preventative aspect of doing life, something that we all should be really aware of. Mm, that's good. That gives a lot of hope. Is it something you have to tackle on your own? To start with, yes, because in the end you take responsibility and it's not something someone can hold your hand and walk through. I know there are people who can do it and who will do it, but unless you decide to hang on to that hand, there's really nothing anyone can do by extending a hand towards you. And at the other end of the day, they can't hold your hand all Forever. the way through. Absolutely. That, I think, is, is wise. Absolutely. Know, in fact, we've got to do that. Elphine, we like to end with a bit of light heart, lightheartedness. Okay. Um, couple of quick questions. Pick one. Okay. As quick as you possibly can. Yep. Whiskey or rum? Whiskey. Text or call? Call. Giving or receiving? Giving. I knew the answer there. Facebook or Instagram? Facebook. High school or adult life? Adult life. Scrunch or fold? Fold. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, right. No judgment from us at all. At all. That's me. I take responsibility. (laughs) I love it. Elphine, honestly, from the bottom of our heart, we are so ever thankful that you came on. My pleasure. I really appreciate the chat. It was great. I mean, we all go away a little bit wiser and and a little bit happier. So thank you. And your smile is infectious. I I think it's amazing. Thank you. So thank you thank very much you. for My your time. Pleasure. It was lovely to come here and I'm glad we communicated, Nadia, Thanks, because Sophie. I was like, I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm two days before I leave and I I've know. got to pack. And I thought, you know what? If it's going to bless one life, I'm happy. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.